Well, we are going to continue on in our journey through the Gospel of John. And this is now our third week on chapter four, but we're going to go ahead and wrap it up today. And, and really, we're going to kind of end the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, the one that has uh, many husbands, although not a husband right now. And then right after that, Jesus is going to continue on to Galilee. He's actually returning to Galilee to perform his second major miracle, and that's the one where he heals the uh, Cana official's son. So before we get started, though, I, I want to give a little recap on the, the uh, Samaritan woman's um, story so we remember where we're at and we get, get started today. So remember that when Jesus gets to town, he heads over to the well to rest because it's been a, a journey for him, and the disciples, they go into town to go ahead and get supplies, and that's where he meets a Samaritan woman. And he kind of blows her mind because not only is this man speaking to a woman, uh, which is relatively uncommon for a man to address a woman by herself, but also, um, not only that, he was a Jewish man addressing a Samaritan woman. And this is a big deal because the Jews and the Samaritans, they pretty much hate each other and they don't talk to each other. You'll remember one of Jesus' stories was about the Samaritan on the side of the road and all the priests just passed him by because he was Samaritan even though he needed, uh, or the guy needed help. And the Samaritan is the one that actually helps the Jewish guy. Sorry, it wasn't a Samaritan on the road. But the, the Samaritan helps this guy who's on the side of the road. And that was amazing because they should hate each other as well, right? That's why that story has so much impact. But during, this, uh, during speaking to this woman, he begins to drop some spiritual truth on her. Right, And this is when uh, he begins to let her know that he is the Messiah and that he has living water that would completely meet all of her, her needs. It would fulfill those things that she needed. However, we, we remember she can't really see past what she knows. Right, She's defining what Christ is saying by her own experience. And all she's thinking is, is, is she's not getting the, the spiritual uh, reality of what he's saying. All she's thinking is, wow, I won't have to draw water anymore. This is pretty amazing. My life's about to get easier. So she doesn't really understand what he's trying to say. So Jesus actually doesn't labor too long on it. He's like, okay, let's go on to the next subject. And this is where he begins to talk about her relationship status, right? If she had a Facebook page, she would mark it, it's complicated. So, and this is because, this is, this is rightly so when Jesus says, you know, man, you've got a lot of husbands, and right now you're staying with somebody, and he's, he's not even your husband. And then she begins to see, because Jesus says this, there's maybe a little bit more to who Jesus is. She begins to say, you know what? She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And like most of us, when our flaws are called out, she doesn't say, wait, tell me more. How can I fix this? She just changes the subject, <laughs> right? And uh, it's always funny because we read the stuff like, why, why would she do that? Maybe she could get something, from, but we do it too. This is the same kind of stuff that we do. Someone points out our failures, and typically what we do is try to point out somebody else's, and that's what she does, right? Your kids do this all the time. You need to go clean, you need to go clean your room. But my sister's room isn't clean, right? That's what we do. You need to go do, but why? This person's not doing it. So uh, uh, that's the kind of things that we do. So she does that. She says, listen, let's change the subject and talk about something else. You Jews say we have to worship here, but we say you have to worship there. And there's this disagreement between the Jews and Samaritans about where they're supposed to worship because both of them have pieces of, of real estate that were pretty significant 
in the Old Testament. So they're saying, no, this is where we should worship. No, this is where we should worship. But Jesus begins to explain to her another truth. He says, listen, it doesn't matter where you worship. It matters how you worship. That was the important thing, right? Because he says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And see, that's the thing. When we worship in spirit, we're worshiping from our inner man, our spirit man, to a God who Jesus says is spirit, which means that he's not bound to one specific place. When we go to worship God, we're not going to a specific place to meet him because he is spirit. He's already where you are. And because you are spirit, you're able to worship him in that way. And then he says, you need to worship in truth. And we worship in truth, which is through Jesus. We have to worship through Jesus. To worship truly, you have to do it through Jesus because why? Jesus is the truth. And he is the only way to the Father. And after this, the disciples return. And they see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. She zips out of there. The disciples, I always thought kind of wisely, didn't say anything. I wonder what Jesus would have said if they would have tried to call him out <laughs> for talking to this Samaritan woman. But they wisely don't say anything. They talk amongst themselves, and they head back to town. And, and, uh, and then after that, we're going to see he ministers to them briefly. And then now, we'll continue on with the story of the Samaritan woman. In John four thirty nine, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. After her encounter with Jesus, right, she's getting it wrong kind of in the beginning, but as she begins to speak to Jesus, Jesus makes a pretty profound impact on her. She says, you know what? I perceive that, that you're a prophet. And then he begins to talk to her about who he is. And then you remember, he, he flat out says, you know, she says, we're waiting for the Messiah. And he says, to whom you speak, I am he. You know, I am he. It's one of his I am statements. It's, this is me that you're talking about. So he plot out tells her, I'm the Messiah. And I think that just kind of blows her mind and it excites her because she runs back to the town and begins to tell everybody she knows about it. She heads back to her friends and to her family and it says the whole town. So either the whole town or her friends or she's just talking to everybody even if she doesn't know them that well, which is probably the case. Even her acquaintances, she's going to tell everybody she can about what just happened to her. And I think this is an amazing example she sets for all of us. We should be running to tell people of all that God has done for us, that is done in our life. It should excite us. There should be nothing that holds us back. You know, she could have went and just went home and went to bed, held it all inside, but no, she told everybody. And she says, listen, guys, he knew everything about me, which means he knew all about my husband's and the one I'm not, have, I'm not with right now. At least that's all we know that he said. But that was enough that he shouldn't have known. She's like, man, this guy is something else. He tells, he knew everything about me. And then she shared this, what Jesus did, her experience with Jesus, what Jesus did to her. He shares this with them as evidence that Jesus is who he says he was. He says, listen, this is what he did. He knew everything about me. Then he said he's the Messiah. That seems like pretty good evidence that he was, he was telling the truth. And as a result, many people in this, in this town, they begin to believe in Jesus. They're like, oh, maybe he is the Messiah. 
man, if she, what she's saying is true, that's pretty incredible. I mean, that, we want to know more. And one thing that, that really struck me with this is that I think we need to understand that our testimony has the potential to stir up a curiosity in people's lives that they'll want to know more, that it can get them started on the journey of beginning to trust in the Lord. And for each and every one of us, we should be doing the same thing as this woman. We should begin to remember how excited we were when we first got born again and realized that we were saved, we were set free. So many of us have been Christians for so long that, that we've almost become jaded to the fact of how incredible it is what God did for us. And most of us who have been Christians for a long time, we have a lifetime of evidence of what God has done in our lives. We have a lifetime of the miracles that have happened. So we should be sharing this with others at every opportunity. We should have to be being held back. Well, but I don't want to offend anybody, Pastor Wayne. I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, in, in, in today's society, people might, they might you know, be awful to me. I mean, they could go as far as teasing me. And this is, I mean, you don't know how bad it could be. And we're told that we can't share, we're told not to share religion and politics, right? Don't talk about religion and politics. And we've done that for so long that none of us know how to talk about religion and politics. We don't know how to have a civil conversation because we've never actually done it. But we should be, we should have to be held back. And here's the thing. If you really believe what you say you believe, then you're kind of a terrible person to not share that. If you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, if somebody doesn't have Christ, if they don't have the Lord, if they're not saved, that they are going to spend eternity away from God in hell with the rest of his demons. If you really believe that, you're kind of an awful person if you don't tell other people about it. It'd be like saying, like seeing someone running towards a burning building and you're like, I know that place is on fire and if he goes in, he's not going to get out, he's going to die, but I'll just let him go. That's essentially what we're doing. So what does this look like? How do you share your testimony to make an impact? And I can't tell you what yours looks like, but I can tell you what it looks like for me. I can tell you that for me, I can share with people that, you know what, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be here this morning and I wouldn't be married to my beautiful wife. Because before I gave my life to the Lord fully, I was always quasi-saved. You know, I, I, I always kind of believed, but I was always halfway in, halfway out. I was that lukewarm. That's not enough. You've got to be sold out. You've got to be a disciple. But when you are, your life will change. And because of that decision, my wife and I both made to serve the Lord. Our relationship was mended. Our marriage was, was strengthened. And, and I truly believe that my marriage is stronger than everybody in here in this room. So I, I won't be convinced otherwise because I have the strongest marriage that I know of. You're going to have to try hard to convince me otherwise. Because God changed our life. I don't think you understand how close she was to leaving me. I didn't understand. I didn't find out till later. I was oblivious because men are kind of stupid to this stuff most of the time. I thought everything. I look back now and I'm like, oh, I see it now. But at the time, I was oblivious. She almost left me. I, I, I almost didn't have a wife. I wouldn't have been here. My life would have been completely different. But God stepped in when we put our trust in him and he restored everything. And it's always funny now because we talk to people and, and people are always uh, amazed when we, when we tell people we would actually rather spend time with one another <laughs> than going out and doing the other things. Like her, her coworkers will always say it. Uh, they went to this uh, uh, that Guatemalan mission trip 
where they were doing the medical mission trip and and she was telling man i'm just excited to get back to my husband and they're all like why don't you like being away from him and she's like no i actually like being with him and i like being with her because our relationship is strong because it's centered around jesus christ without christ it couldn't be like that you know what that's a pretty amazing testimony and people see our relationship, and they can see that. They can see the love that we have, and they see that. If they want that, I can say, you know what? If you want that, here's what you got to do. You got to put Christ first. You got to get born again. You got to put him first if you want because it's the only way you can have it. In addition, God took us from being flat broke, filing for bankruptcy, not having anything, to being completely financially stable. And it's amazing because he didn't give it to us all at once because when we were being stupid with money, if he'd have gave us a bunch of money, we'd be stupid with a bunch of money. That's the only difference, right? But as we began to trust him, as we began to give faithful and say, you know what, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to give to you. We're going to be faithful. He has continued to be faithful all through all these years, and I, we continue to have increase. And as he gives us increase, we continue to give more, help more, do more. And then he's like, well, I guess they're being smart with the money. They're going to be wise with what I give them. I'll give them a little bit more. Just like the, the parable of the talents. He says, you know, take this one away from him and give it to the one that had the 10, because I know he's going to do right with it. That's a pretty amazing testimony. How is it, Pastor Wayne, that, that, that the economy looks like it's about to blow up and, and, uh, Everything's going crazy, and, and the stock market's crying. How is it you, you're so confident? You're not worried about money. Matter of fact, guys, uh, last week um, in, uh, uh, in our Bible study, I asked you whether I have a potential opportunity at work to, to get a raise, to get a promotion. And as of now, it looks pretty much like that's going to happen. God is faithful. He continues to make sure that I have increase so that I can continue to to do good things with it, to, to, do, to work for him. He, can, he always makes a way. So in the midst of everything else going crazy for everyone else, I'm probably going to get a, a promotion. In the midst of, of, of the stock market crashing and, and inflation going through the roof, I'm not concerned because I know my God will take care of me. And I can say, Pastor Wayne, how can, you, how can you feel like that? Aren't you afraid? No. Do you want to not be afraid? Let me tell you about Jesus. That's a testimony. And there's more than that. One of the greatest things that God has done to me has changed how I... View is not the right word, but long story short, I'm not as selfish as I used to be. He has taught me how to love others better and not be so concerned about myself. And it's funny, you might think, I'm not, that, I'm not selfish. I thought that too. But I look back. It's funny when you look back and go, oh, now I see it. But the truth is, God has completely transformed me. He's made me more compassionate, more loving. And because of what he did in my life. Well, how do you know that was God? Because before God, I wasn't like that. If it was just something that was going to happen, don't you think it would have happened? If that was something intrinsic to me, it would have always been that way. But no, it wasn't until God saved me that he made me brand new. That I began to live like that, that my life began to change. That's an amazing testimony. And then all of you guys, some of you know the story of my daughter, but suffice it to say, she had some pretty severe medical issues. And I would say some pretty severe spiritual issues. And uh, long story short, we laid hands on her, and almost all, this, almost all of it is gone, completely healed. 
And when I say that this is a miracle, I don't mean like uh, she used to get headaches and now they're better. This is pretty significant and serious and, and uh, uh, I won't share it all because I actually haven't asked her if I could share it all. But the reality is, is that it was a supernatural miracle what happened in her life. God did that. And you know what's funny, when we were going through it, it seemed like nothing was changing. We prayed for years, nothing was happening, and we had a pastor come down to us and said, you know what, I want to encourage you because my daughter had very some, something very similar. We thought we lost her. We thought there was no way out. Then God healed her. And that encouraged our faith. And then it was in the next year or so that God began to heal Allison. And, and, and as of now, while it's not 100%, almost everything is completely restored. And we're believing for the rest because God is faithful. And you know what? If somebody's struggling with somebody that's sick or hurting, that's a testimony that I can share to introduce them. And the reality is, if I'm being honest, sometimes I forget. The truth is, is that uh, in many ways, God has blessed me so much that it's, it's, it's almost easy to forget. It's miraculous. It becomes commonplace. And then we don't share it with others because that's just our norm. And the church, that should be your norm, but you've got to not forget that that's amazing. And share it with others and encourage others. This woman, he said, he knew everything about me. You're not going to believe this. I found him, and she told everybody. I gotta imagine there were some people in that town that didn't like her, she didn't like. She still told them too. Church, you have similar stories. You have similar testimonies that you can share. And if you just take a second to think, you might even have forgotten how good God has been to you. Share those things with others so that they might have the opportunity to hear his word. Because this is the kind of thing that can happen. In John 4, 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because he told me all that I ever did. You see, there was evidence. He, she began to tell what Jesus had done in her life. And because of that, that sparked their interest. They began to believe, right? I can tell people, listen to what God did in my life. He completely restored a broken marriage. We were almost... almost uh, uh, completely separated but this january we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary because god is good all right maybe there's something to this god if he can do that for you i want him to do that for me her willingness to share with the community sparks a revival in that city her testimony made an impact told me all that I ever did. Don't forget that you can share your testimony. And in John 40 through 41, it says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. Like I said, her willingness to share begins to spark a revival. And they hear about what Jesus said just from this woman, just from this woman's testimony. Now they want to hear more. So they go and find Jesus and say, hey, can you stay with us? We want to hear more. And as a result of that woman's testimony, these people come and get in front of Jesus and they begin to hear his words. They begin to hear the words of God and even more begin to believe. Never underestimate also the impact of getting people in front of the word of God. You say, Pastor Wayne, I don't, I don't like to share with people because I don't know all the answers. 
I got news for you. I don't know all the answers either. My pastor was one of the most brilliant theologians that I've ever met. He's incredible. I got a secret for you. He doesn't have all the answers either. The truth is, is that none of us have all the answers. Somebody can say, well, how do you know that, 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 that God is real? How do you know that you're saved? Just tell them, because I was there when it happened. Look at my life. There's evidence that it happened. But never underestimate getting people in front of the Word of God. If, if you're not sure that you have all the answers, just tell them what God did for you and say, listen, come to church. You can hear more. You might say, well, they don't seem to have an interest in my church. They don't seem to have an interest in God. Well, have you told them all that God has done for you? They might begin to have an interest if you begin to tell them how God has made an impact in your life, all the things that he's done for you. Or what does your life look like? Can they look at your life and see God's hand on it, or do you look just like everybody else? Are you looking unhappy all the time? Are you looking grumpy all the time? Are you complaining all the time? Do you look just like, when they look at you, they go, man, there's something different I want that, or they go, well, that Christian's just like the rest of us. Why do I want to deal with all the extra rules? Because that's all they see it is at that point, is that there's no change in your life. It's just a bunch of rules and regulations that are apparently making you miserable too. It was funny this morning. Norma asked me, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. She says, you're always doing great. So that's a choice I get to make. I choose to be doing great even when stuff around me doesn't seem to be great. You want to know why? Because my joy comes from Him. Sometimes I'm unhappy, but I always have joy. No matter how bad things are, God is still with me. God is going to take care of me. So the thing is, is whether you share your testimony with somebody or you live your life in such a way that your life is, an, is, an, is, a, is a testimony you're going to find opportunities to share with others. And when you have those opportunities, take them. And if they want to hear more, they want they have some questions and you don't have them, send them to church. You know one thing for sure is that if you get them in here, you know that Pastor Joseph or myself are going to preach the Word of God. It's the reason why I use so much scripture when I preach because the truth is what I say doesn't have all that much impact, but the word of God makes an impact in people's lives. I want them to hear the word of God because that's the thing. In verse 42, it says, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. We have to recognize that the word of God is what is key. They need to hear the word of God. You've often heard me say, it's not your testimony that's going to save anybody. And it won't. Your testimony does not have the power to save anybody. It's only God's word that has the power to influence somebody's faith, to actually increase their faith. The word of God is the only thing that has that effect. But your testimony is so important because it gives you opportunity to share the word of God. It gives you the inroad to get the Word of God in front of them. It creates the opportunity for people to hear the Word of God willingly and not under compulsion. You know, if you're just shouting the Word of God at people all day long, if they don't want to hear it, you're not going to have any impact. If you see somebody struggling and they haven't given you permission to speak into their life, to say anything in their life, all your words are going to fall on deaf ears and more than likely it's not going to have any effect. 
But if because of your testimony and because you've built the relationship, they say, listen, I want to know more. They give you the opportunity, then you can have an impact. You can have an effect in their life. And your testimony will give you the opportunity to share the word of God in such a way that they will listen to you, that they will hear it. And when they hear the word of God, that is what builds faith inside of them. And that's what allows them to finally start seeing the cross with the power to save instead of his foolishness. They've seen it their whole life. They can finally hear his word and put their trust in him they'll say we want to know more we want to see him and that's what happened here they said listen we want to know more we got to get in front of jesus jesus can you stay with us for a couple days and they began to hear him speak and look what happens when they got in front of jesus when they got to hear his word they had a revelation hey listen it's no longer because of what you what she said that we believe or they said to the woman it's longer what you said that we believe but for we have heard for ourselves now and we know this indeed is the Savior of the world. I said, we know. You see, when they heard from her, it says they believed. But it's apparent to me that when it talks about this here, that before, that was an intellectual belief. That was a, uh, uh, a curiosity, like, this sounds pretty good. I want to see it for myself. But when they heard Jesus speak, when they heard the words of God Faith developed inside of them and says, listen, now we believe, we have a revelation, we understand completely ourselves that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So church, I want to encourage you to get excited again about the things that God has done in your life. Get excited again and share it with people. Because when you do, it's going to create an opportunity for people to hear the word of God for you to share it with them. You're going to get those doors open so they can finally hear the truth. Amen? And that wraps up the story of the Samaritan woman, which I think is just a phenomenal example for us to show us how to share our testimony and the impact it can make. But then in verse 43, it says, after the two days, he stayed with them for a couple more days because they asked. And he says, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So after staying a couple days with the Samaritans, Jesus gathers up his old disciples and he continues on his journey to Galilee. Now you remember, he started in Judea, he went through Samaria, and that, that was his goal the whole time, was to finally make it to Galilee. And uh, he had already pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Now here in, in this gospel, it doesn't specifically say when he says this. It's kind of a uh, parenthetical thought, you know, like, hey, this is something Jesus had said. But if you read in Matthew uh, 13, 57 or Mark 6, 4, you can read about this. When Jesus is in Nazareth, he goes and tries to minister to his hometown, and, and he has some troubles. says he could do no great miracle there because a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. They just wouldn't receive him. But despite this, despite knowing this, Jesus goes ahead and he's going to go ahead and make his, his way up there. And when he gets to Galilee, the Galileans, they, they welcome him because they had seen all the miracles that he had done in Jerusalem because they were well, there with him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read this stuff, now I'm confused. Because first it says he's going to Galilee, which is his, his home uh, area, I guess home region, if you will. And it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So it looks like he's saying they're not going to welcome him in Galilee. 
But then it says, but he came there and they all welcomed him. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That seems kind of weird. But um, I think we've got a couple things going on here. One, it's possible that the Galileans just wanted to see a miracle worker. They weren't willing to accept him for who he was, which was the Messiah or a prophet. They just wanted to see another miracle. They wanted to see the signs. Um, or two, I think this is probably, uh, when I looked at this, this is kind of how I think it really was. Galilee is kind of like the region that Jesus was from. Nazareth was his hometown. When he said that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, he said this while in Nazareth. I think he was speaking about Nazareth specifically. It's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I'm heading to Arizona instead of Marana, right? The, the, the state instead of the, the, the city. And I think this makes sense because, like I said, when, when he's giving this quote, he was literally in his hometown of Nazareth. So it's quite possible that, that the other Galileans, they didn't really know Jesus like the people in his hometown knew Jesus. So uh, the people in his hometown, all they can see is the boy that grew up there. But the other Galileans, they don't really know about him. And this is kind of true because I don't really know a whole lot about what's going on in Phoenix, even though it's only an hour and a half away. You know, I don't know. And we have the Internet. You know, we, we should be able to know more. But uh, so anyway, he heads there and, and uh, the Galileans are, are welcoming him. And then in verse 46 through 47, it says, so he came again to, to Cana in Galilee, where he, has made, where he had made water, the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So, you remember, Jesus has already been here. This is where uh, uh, Jesus turned the water into the wine. This is where he didn't want to do a miracle, and Mama said, you're going to do a miracle, and everybody knows when Mama says, do something, you do it. So he went ahead and turned the water into wine. And uh, as a result, he's known there, right? They know about him in Canada. They know that he can do miracles. He did something incredible. Um, so an official hears that he is on his way to, to Cana, and he's heading there, and he begins to make the journey there as well. Now, Capernaum, uh, Cap Capernaum, Capernaum, how is that pronounced? Capernaum. Capernaum is uh, about 26 miles from Cana. Let me show you a picture here so you have an idea. You, can't really, you may not be able to read the words, but this is the Sea of Galilee. Right up here in the top right is Capernaum. And you have to take the road down here. And these are, this is, I think, probably today's roads. But anyway, um, you're going to go through there, and here is Cana. Uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit. This is Nazareth. Nazareth is here. Cana is here. Capernaum's over here somewhere. It's about a 26-mile hike from uh, Capernaum to Cana. So when we think about this, this is a pretty big deal for this guy to head that way. And we're like, 26 miles? That doesn't seem that far at all. I mean, that seems like nothing. But you've got to remember, they don't have cars. They don't have any of that stuff. So my wife and I, we like to go for a walk um, a few nights a week, and we walk about three miles in an hour. And that's a pretty, that's a moderate pace. It's not super slow. I mean, we're not, we're not speed walking, but it's, it's a moderate pace. And uh, just to make sure, I looked up online, what is, you know, what is the average walking speed? So moderate pace is, you know, three, four miles an hour. So if we do the math on this, to walk 26 miles... You know, and granted, we're, they're, they're going up over mountains and stuff. You look here, we see some, depending on how he went, there's some mountains and valleys and stuff he's got to go through. It's not like it's a flat ground and 26 miles. So we're probably looking at an eight or nine hour walk. 
You know, this, this is how we can understand that people in Galilee didn't really know who Jesus was. I mean, the people in, in Capernaum, they certainly don't know everybody in Cana. That's nine hours away. To put that in perspective, that would be like you, well, just to give you an example, San Diego is what, four or five hours from here by car? Los Angeles, I think, is six or seven hours. So I'm guessing someone even farther north in California, that would be the equivalent to us making an eight or nine hour drive. How many people do you know in the north of California? Just probably a few, right? Even, even people that used to live there, how many people do you still know in those cities? You know a little of them, but you don't know all of them. You don't even know all the people in Marana, right? So it's possible, right, that they, they knew of Jesus, kind of, but not really. They might have heard of him. Now they're hearing of him because he's doing miracles. But when he was a boy, he was just some boy in Nazareth. I guarantee you they hadn't heard about him back then. So I imagine that is why the Galileans can be welcoming him, but he's still not welcomed in his hometown, right? I mean, if you think about it, I, I, I did this. This is actually, uh, uh, did I write it down? It's about an hour walk, so it's three or four miles Although if you look at the terrain, it seems like a little bit harder terrain going down up the mountain. But it's, it's probably a little over an hour walk from Nazareth, which is way down here, to, to Cana. Um, so in Cana, they would be more welcoming to him because they may not have been as familiar with him. Anyway, this is just what I'm thinking as I'm looking at this stuff. I don't know. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. This will make sense to me. But so this official... He's going to seek out Jesus because he has a real need. His son is about to die. He's like, man, if this guy can turn water into wine, I bet he can save my son. So he goes to find Jesus. And uh, we don't know a lot about this official. He could have been a Jewish official. He could have been a centurion. He could have been a minor Roman official in Herod's court. We don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, it's likely, even though there's some stories and uh, some similarity in the stories between this guy and the Roman centurion, it's likely it's not the, the case because it's talked about a little differently. And the truth is, is that John specifically, but all the, the gospel writers mentioned that they're really just giving you a snippet of all the things Jesus did. You know, so the, the reality is, is that Jesus did a lot more than we know about or what's written in the gospels. But we don't know much about this guy, but what we do know is that he's got a need. His son is dying and he thinks Jesus can make an impact. So... When he gets to Jesus, it says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. <laughs> this seems like an unusual response to me. <laughs> like, guy's going to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, my son's dying. I know you can save him. Can you even do it? And he's like, Man, if you guys, you guys seem to have to see signs to believe. And uh, I think what happens is this guy's coming to Jesus looking for a miracle, and Jesus takes this opportunity to not only address this guy, but all the, the people that are around him, the Galileans that are around him, saying, listen, you guys always seem to need a sign to believe. And the problem that Jesus was addressing is there were so many that wanted proof. They wanted evidence. They wanted some sort of sign before they would believe. And in Bible study on Wednesday, we were kind of talking about this. And if you've ever done any evangelism or any street preaching, you may have come across somebody who says something along this line. If God is real, why don't you have him make that rock on the ground float? Some stupid thing like that. And here's the thing. God could do it. But what would happen if I said, God, 
I, I believe in you, but so this person will believe, make that rock float, and then phew, rock floats. What do you think would happen? Do you think that person would all of a sudden believe? Nope, he'd spend the rest of his life trying to figure out how I made that rock float. It wouldn't actually make an impact. You know, looking for a sign just for the sake of a sign is an issue. Another problem with this mentality is miracles end up becoming the end goal. They end up, you end up worshiping the miracle instead of the one who created the miracle. So Jesus is trying to deal with this. Like, listen, God, what is your problem? Why do you have to see all these signs to believe? You need to see something more, something more, something more. The truth is, what I've already done should be enough to point you towards the truth. And Jesus' miracles, or actually you'll notice that when John refers to them, he always refers to them as signs, almost always instead of miracles. And that's because the purpose of Jesus' miracles is they were a sign. They were a, a, a guidepost to point you to Jesus. The, the miracle was never the point. The miracle was never the end goal. The miracle was just to say, yeah, this guy is who he says he is. Don't focus on the miracle. Focus on him. Don't focus on the created thing. Focus on the creator. Focus on Jesus. But this man, he doesn't argue with Jesus. And we don't know. Like Maybe he's just he's had a long journey. Like He's probably exasperated. His son's about to die. He's probably, Jesus, I don't want to argue about any of this stuff. I don't got time for the theology. I just know you can heal my son. Please come heal my son. <laughs> and that's, that's what he goes and says. He says, uh, uh, he says, he says, the official said to him, after he just gave him that weird response, saying, hey, unless you have a sign, the official said to him, sir, just come down before my child dies. And then Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. And then it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, I want you to notice the difference here. All these other people that were, you know, the, the sign searchers, this, you know, the, the probably like ambulance changers, chasers, except for miracles, they're all looking for the miracle, but this guy's like, look, Jesus, come. And Jesus, you know what? Your son will live. This guy wasn't waiting for the sign to believe. This guy believed Jesus before the sign happened. Matter of fact, we know in hindsight, as we're going to find out, that at this moment when Jesus said your son is going to live, the sun started to get better. But as far as this guy is concerned, no miracle has happened yet. He's got another eight or nine hour walk home before he finds out anything. But it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke him, and he went on his way. He decided to trust Jesus and then go on like it already was. You know, so often when we, we trust Jesus, we, we, uh, uh, we say, oh, I, I believe you, Jesus, but then we begin to, to uh, look for the evidence right away, right? Instead of... Uh, 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 moving forward and trusting and, and living like it had already had happened, we're always waiting for the evidence to happen. We're waiting. It's kind of like when you, when you plant the seed in the ground, and you're like, okay, I believe it's going to grow. We expect it to be like the jack and the beanstalk, you know, hit the ground, big old, but no, it takes time. It develops underground. But if you go and start digging it out first, you go, oh, it looks like it was growing, but now you just destroyed it. It's not going to finish growing. We, that's how we tend to believe. But this is what we, we should believe like. Just take him at his word. I believe it, Jesus. I'm going to live my life. Yeah, it's something simple. Asking God to, uh, to heal you of your headache. God, will you heal this headache? Instead of going, is it gone yet? Is it gone? Just thank God and thank you, Father, for healing and live your life. I know for me, whenever I've done that, a little while later I'll go, oh wait, the headache's gone. 
But if you're constantly checking, you're constantly looking, that's actually a demonstration of lack of faith. But anyway, this guy, he doesn't see the sign. He just says, you know what, I'm going to believe Jesus, and he goes on his way. And then in verse 40, uh, 51 through 53, it says, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. Like I said, when the man left, he had no evidence that what Jesus said was true. He just began to trust him. There was no miracle yet from his perspective, but he believed, so he starts the several-hour journey home, and then his, son, his servants come out and speak to him and say, listen, your son is recovering. And something I notice about this miracle is that it, it wasn't instantaneous. It is now at least eight or nine hours later, potentially longer, and the son is still recovering. He's getting better, but he's not fully healed yet. Sometimes when we ask God to do something, it's bang, it just happens like that. Sometimes you're, you, you have to just trust God and see it play out over time. You know, we often talk about it, but we don't want to hear it. Abraham waited for 25 years for his miracle to finally come to fruition. Matter of fact, he got so tired of waiting, he tried to do it himself, which has made things worse. How much different would our life be today if you would have just waited the full 25 years? <laughs> Noah waited 125 years. I mean, can you imagine having to believe for that long? Like, most of us, after 15 minutes, like, there's no rain yet. I wonder if, I, wonder if I misheard God. It's been half an hour. Surely I'd see some, 125 years he waited. So this happens, and... and it's happening over time. That's why one of the scriptures says if you lay hands on the sick, it says they will recover. It doesn't say they will recover instantly when you lay your hands on them. It doesn't always say. Sometimes it happens. Praise God for when it happens, but sometimes it takes time. One of the things, like I was talking about my daughter, I, we've prayed for my daughter for years. And not only did we not see her getting better, we saw her getting worse. And I'm standing, and many times I cry, God, what is it? I'm doing everything you said. I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. Your word says this. Why isn't it happening? And for years it went on like this. And every time when, when, when I was fighting that nag of disbelief, when I just wanted to give up, at the end I'd always say, but you know what, God, I'm just going to continue trusting you. And after years we finally saw movement. We finally saw a change. She was getting better. She went from getting worse every single day to getting better and to now being if, if you knew her back then, you would be amazed at the difference. But it took time. It wasn't instantaneous, but it is no less a miracle. This took time. Kid wasn't even fully healed yet. He's recovering, but he's not there. Still no less a miracle. It doesn't have to happen instantaneously to be a miracle. God was still moving. How do I know this? Because it flat out says it. It was when Jesus said this, his son started to recover. That was the point. And he's getting better. And you'll notice something about this miracle. You see, the man made a choice to believe before the miracle. And then the miracle encouraged and strengthened his faith. The miracle wasn't the cause of his belief. He decided to believe beforehand, 
But then that miracle strengthened his belief. Miracles are important for us. They, they, they help encourage us and strengthen us. That's why Jesus said, you, you believe, when he said to Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe who don't see. And then when you do see, it just encourages your faith and strengthens you. And something else I want to point out here, it says, your son will live, and it says he himself believed. His, his strength, it's even strengthened more. Now he's, he's starting to see it even more. Probably he went from believing it was a miracle worker, he could do a miracle. Now he recognized that he is who he's a Messiah, he's a Savior. He himself believed. And then it says in all his households. Never underestimate the impact that you will have on your family and those around you when you believe. Because back then, you know, the, the father is the spiritual leader of the house. He set the tone for the entire house. And when he said, listen, this was amazing. My son is healed. They all believed. And I want to encourage you, if you've got family members that don't believe, continue to walk in faith, to be an example for them. And remember that sometimes it's not instantaneous. The miracle happens over time, but trust God, don't give up. Sometimes it takes years, but keep on trusting Him. And then we'll end today in verse 54. It says, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when He had come from Judea to Galilee. We see that John refers to them once again as signs not miracles. It's because they were a signpost. They were a guidepost. They were basically a, a big sign with an arrow pointing to Jesus. That was the purpose of the miracles. Miracles themselves are not the end goal. They're not the purpose. They're not what's there to get people to believe. They're just there to point to the Creator, to the One who's going to save us all. And it's actually hearing and getting in front of God's Word that inspires faith. It causes people to have the opportunity to put their trust in Him. Now, I thank God for miracles. I love them. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and I would like to see more. I truthfully think they should be much more commonplace in the American church than they are. I would like to see more, but I don't believe because I see a miracle. But I'm encouraged when I see them. And it encourages my faith. Because the reality is, is that I know in whom I trust church, we know in whom we trust, and he is faithful. Amen.